Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And you're you're listening listening to Fathomless. Fathomless. Hey guys, welcome back to Fathomless. We just wanted to take a minute and thank everyone who took the time to listen to our first episode. We're so grateful for all of the support that we're already getting. It's way more than I ever expected, honestly. Um, I'm I'm wicked excited that we got so many listens and just so many people that took the time to rate us and just subscribe, whether it was on Spotify or Apple. Thank you so, so much. And to everyone who just like, reached out to us and said that they liked the episode. That was amazing. You know, we're still kind of learning as we go. So um, to really see people getting excited about it and excited to hear our next episode was pretty freaking awesome. I know. It made me really excited to sit down and record again. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm having so much fun already. Just to see where this takes us. And we're so excited to have you guys along for the ride, too. Um, uh, one thing that we did not do on our first episode that we kind of wanted to talk about before we start today, um, is we want to talk about our outro and how last time we said, stay spooky, stay scary, stay safe. Uh, cause we figured everyone would probably be like, what, what the, the fuck? Yeah. Like what the fuck does that mean? Uh, so spooky, scary is something that Jen and I say all the time. We actually go spooky, scary, spooky, scary, spooky, scary. Uh, anytime we drive by like a graveyard or, you know, we're watching like a horror movie, we see something spooky, see Halloween decorations. It's a, it's a little yeah. song that we always just... It's just our thing. Yeah. It's one of our things. And um, we do it like we were doing it when we were like picking our like intro music and the like the little music that we picked at the beginning. We like do spooky scary yeah it gave us a scary vibe yeah exactly so i mean feel free to join us on that if you want um and uh stay safe is that's just i mean that's how i always say goodbye is stay safe drive safe you know and the alliteration yeah Yeah. and you know the world's full of freaks so you have to stay safe uh so yeah that is stay spooky stay scary and stay safe yeah just something a little personal to us yeah we thought we could integrate into the show we wanted like a nice little outro that was you know just kind of like consistent and something fun and it just it felt right to us so yeah figured we'd give you a little story about it and uh so now let's just get into it uh jen is actually going to take us on this wild ride today and tell us about a double homicide that happened in america's hometown plymouth which is actually jen's hometown as well so it is take it away girl So our case takes place in my hometown of Plymouth, Massachusetts. Plymouth is a coastal town in Massachusetts, about 40 miles south of Boston, and it is the largest town in the state. Since it's where I grew up and because Plymouth has so much history, I'm just going to give the listeners a little background about the town, even though I know most of you are probably from Plymouth, our current listeners, because we're only on episode two. Yeah. Hey, guys. What's up? So, Plymouth is known for being one of the first settlements of the Pilgrims, coming from England in 1620, arriving on the Mayflower, which is a ship. I hope everyone knows that fact. Not sure if everyone got Plymouth Pilgrim education in school, if if that was just me, because that's where I grew up. I think most people did, but, I mean, it was probably, like, very brief, more than what we got. Yeah. 
So the pilgrims were among the first people who immigrated to America to seek religious separation from the people of the Church of England, hence the term New England, which we described in our intro episode. Plymouth is home, or was that episode one? Episode one. Episode one. Yeah. So Plymouth is home to many notable sites, the biggest hype of them all being Plymouth Rock. Uh, so if you're from the area or if you've ever seen Plymouth Rock, you know, it's kind of a disappointment when it comes to size. It's yeah, it's It's small. It's not what you expect it to be. And if you're not from the area and you're like, oh my God, I need to go to Plymouth. It's going to be so cool. Just like prepare to be underwhelmed. Very underwhelmed. It's also not the real rock. I'm so sorry to tell everyone that. I know. I'm sorry. Anyway. Plymouth Rock is housed in a beautiful portico structure, but the rock does not live up to its home, unfortunately, in our opinion. No. So, other notable sites in Plymouth. Plymouth Plantation, newly renamed Plymouth Patuxet. It is an immersive museum that replicates the original settlement of Plymouth Colony established by the Pilgrims. Some other historical sites include Pilgrim Hall Museum, the Mayflower II Replica, and the National Monument to the Forefathers, which, fun fact, it is the tallest freestanding solid granite monument in the U.S. It is? Yeah. Pretty That's cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Also in Plymouth is the Plymouth or the Jenny Gristmill. It is a working replica of, replica of the original mill built in 1636. And also in Plymouth is the Richard Sparrow House. It is the oldest house that is still standing in Plymouth, built in 1640. That's an old-ass house. house. Yeah, it's definitely, like, leaning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there are a total of 21 locations in Plymouth that are listed on the National Registrar of Historical Places. So that's pretty cool. That's that's a lot. Damn. Yeah. So Plymouth is referred to as America's hometown. It is huge during the 4th of July because of this. Literally, it's it's amazing. The 3rd of July... The third of July is its own holiday in Plymouth now too. It's like it a, it's like a weekend. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. Fourth of July parade's huge. They shut down the streets. They do the fireworks do. at night. It's a full day event. They have um the fireworks are they are like superb. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, especially like growing up as a kid going to the Fourth of July parade in Plymouth. Best. It was memorable. Best. So Plymouth's also said to be the site of the first Thanksgiving Day feast. So. I feel like the Thanksgiving Day Parade in Plymouth is bigger than Fourth of July. Oh yeah, it's definitely it's freaking massive. Definitely. Just I work downtown at a coffee shop during these it's, parades, and it is hectic. And, and I will say Thanksgiving Day gets it's like a mini bigger. Macy's Day Parade. They have like Santa come at the end. It's they go all out. Yeah, they really do. So the population census as of 2020 is just over 61,000 people. So Plymouth is relatively a safe town, but I will say that there is more of a stigma around North Plymouth being more like the unsafe part of town. Edgier, yeah, I don't really. You will. Yeah, I mean, I lived in North Plymouth, and you did. On it, the, was, it was on an extension of what everyone says is the shittiest street, too. Yeah, and I was fine. Nothing ever happened. I lived in a nice house, and. You know, I felt safe. Yeah, so. it was a nice house. But, you know, if you're from Plymouth, you kind of know North Plymouth kind of has that general stigma. It's got a reputation. Yeah, but you know what? They're they're building a lot of places and reopening a lot of buildings that were closed for years. And, yeah, so they're doing a lot in North Plymouth. They're trying. Yeah. So, about the crime in Plymouth, I just kind of looked into a little bit of statistics. 
property crime is definitely way more common than violent crimes in Plymouth. And, yeah, and there are about like one to two murders every couple of years in Plymouth, but there are hundreds of thefts annually. Yeah, it makes sense because it's a tourist town, so you could see why. Like, there's a lot of people that come in and out. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of stuff. There's a very diverse, you know, population in Plymouth yeah, too. There's exactly. all sorts of people. So let's begin our case. Let's do it. I think let's I told you guys it. enough about Plymouth, Massachusetts. I'm excited. I know nothing about our case today, so I am just I'm I'm just here. Yeah, I've just been talking guys. about it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that case. I insisted. I like I wanted to look stuff up, but I also wanted to be like immersed in the experience with everyone else listening. So yeah. So you ready? Yes. Okay. I'm so, ready. so it's 11:30 a.m. on the morning of Thursday, February 4th, 1983. A relative of Dina and Barry Pinto enters the family home located at 4 Cherry Street Court in the north side of town. He walks in to find Dina and Barry shot to death in the living room, and their infant son just steps away in a playpen unharmed. So, Dina was born Dina Marie Pierce in Manchester, Connecticut on July 12, 1958. She grew up in Plymouth, but she did move back to Connecticut with family when she was young, and she did have a twin brother named Dean. Oh. Dean and Dina. I love that. I love that. She went to Hartford Technical School in Connecticut, and she was actually valedictorian of her 1977 graduating class. Wow. You go, Dina. Yeah. Very smart. So she moved to Plymouth about three years prior to her death with her parents. Dina was described as a pretty woman, about five feet tall, brown eyes, freckles, and long, dark, wavy hair. And pictures of her, she is so beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's Absolutely so pretty. Gorgeous. So she actually worked as a part-time hairdresser in downtown Plymouth at Anthony's Hair Odyssey. And I couldn't find any information about this online, so I'm assuming that they're no longer in business anymore. I have never heard of them. So yeah, so probably so. not. I mean, yeah, lived in the lived in the area for a while, but I mean, there's so many hair salons, I can't yeah. even keep track. So, uh, Barry Anthony Pinto was born in Plymouth, Massachusetts, on January seventeenth, nineteen fifty-seven. He is the son of Joseph A. Pinto Sr. and Monica Pinto. Joseph was a painter. And his mother was a teacher's aide at Hedge Elementary School in Plymouth. Cool. Yeah, right around the corner from yeah. where the Pintos lived. So Barry was a lifelong resident of Plymouth. He was a 1976 graduate of Plymouth Carver Regional High School. And that's actually where my dad and my stepdad went to high school. Aww. Yeah. That was when the population was small enough to have one high school. Yeah. But now they're separate, right? Yeah, Plymouth has actually two high schools and Carver oh, yeah, has that's one. Right. Yeah, yeah. Have, Plymouth yeah. North and Plymouth South. So that's besides the point. So Barry played on his high school football team and he was also on the marching band. So wow. how, how does that work if you like have a football game? Do you like switch from uniform to uniform? Right? Just in the middle? Or like, <laughs> do you ever like forget it and mm. like have your trumpet out on the football field? <laughs> I don't know how he made that work, but multi-talented man yeah so barry was a self-employed lobster man and that makes sense because he lived minutes from plymouth harbor right on the water at the time of his death he had actually recently purchased about 50 new lobster traps and those were found neatly stacked behind his home in anticipation of the busy upcoming lobstering season 
He's a typical Plymouth Lobster guy. Yeah, yeah. All right. So he was also an avid hunter, and he was a member of the Garibaldi. And when I saw that, I immediately thought of my grampy. Oh. Yeah, he passed away a few years ago, but he would always tell me stories about going down to the Garibaldi and having a drink and, yeah. Typical grampy. I know. I miss him. He was awesome. So he was also a member of the Garibaldi Club and the Young America Clubs. And those are just clubs that you, what, pay to join and you can go yeah. have a drink there yeah. and be yeah, on the board. Yeah, sure. like VFWs yeah. kind of like, you know, like help out and stuff like yeah. that. You pay like a membership or gotcha. like dues It's like or the Alps. Okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So Barry was described as a handsome, ruggedly built man, about six feet tall, with light skin, blue eyes, and blonde hair. He was also very dude, handsome. Handsome yes. dude. Their pictures together are just like the cutest. I know. Thing ever. They look they fit as a couple. So Barry had a daughter from a previous marriage. Her name is Amy, and at the time of Barry's death, she was living on the West Coast with her mother. Dina and Barry's daughter did have a good relationship in an article I read. And his daughter mentions that he remembers Dina putting French braids in her hair, which I thought was wholesome and cute. That is very cute. Also, if anyone hears anything weird in the background, I'm so sorry. My cat is, um, I, I has just, the zoomies. Like, yeah, he really does. It's really bad right now. So, so sorry if you're like, what the hell is that? He's having fun. Anyway, proceed. So, Dina and Barry married on October 18th, 1980. And they lived in an apartment on Hamilton, Hamilton Street in Plymouth before purchasing their home at 4 Cherry Street Court. And I Google maps it it's like a two minute drive yeah so right down the street same part of town nice the couple was well liked by everyone they were described as a quiet couple and everyone expressed shock about their death they had yeah. just moved into the two-story house the day after christmas 1982 Aww. so like two months before before this happened be yeah that they were not in their crazy. house long yeah According to the Plymouth County Registry of Deeds, they bought the house on November 9th, 1982 for $35,000. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Houses don't cost that much these days. God, no. This, well, I mean... I mean, this house was fire damage, and they had plans for extensive renovations, but, I mean, even, like, a dumpster on fire in this housing market goes in for, like, half a mil. Yeah. Yeah, we had to move out of state because we couldn't afford a house I don't in even Massachusetts. Think a, a parcel of land in Plymouth would go for thir like under fifty thousand. Yeah, times now are, times are different. Times are definitely different Good these God. days. So after they bought the house, they had plans for extensive renovations. And I actually looked at the house on Zillow, and it seems to be owned by someone who rents out the top and the bottom floor separately. Okay. So people are renting out the first floor as an apartment now. Right. So I don't know who lives there, but I wonder if they know what happened. Yeah. I I wonder. I wonder. wonder if that was disclosed to them. So a cousin of Dina stated that the couple had many friends who often went to the house to help renovate. And I actually read that in many articles. So they're always having people come through. And help them out. So a lot of people were in the house. Apparently they left a key outside for family and friends to get in. Do you know where outside? Like under like a rock or something? Or was it under a I, mat? I, I wrote it down somewhere in my notes. I feel like we'll get to it later on. But I think it was like 
under a rock or something. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just curious if it was, like, right under the mat or, like, like above the door or something like that. Like, well, in one of those, like, kind of People obvious... knew there was a key and people knew where to find the key. Okay. So, so someone could have been seen getting the key. Yeah. True. Yeah. Curious. Maybe someone was. Yeah. Because this case is unsolved, so we yeah. don't know. I do know. I, I know you said it was yeah. unsolved, which is why I asked. So Lieutenant Michael Crisp is a Massachusetts state police detective, and he's been looking at the case on and off. Um, the article I read was from about 20 years ago. I'm not sure if he's retired now, but um, I did also read that people do go back and look at this case and actually something i'll mention at the end the state police are still you know spreading awareness yeah i'll mention that towards the end it's in my notes towards the end cool so family members have remained in contact with the police to keep this investigation alive so oh yeah right here chris says that several detectives revisit the case to see if there was anything missed in the past so they're still ongoing okay so are you ready to get into the details yes okay yes so, Cherry Street Court in Plymouth is described as a tight-knit neighborhood. Most families on the street know each other. Barry even grew up on that street. And many families in North Plymouth are of the Italian, Portuguese, Brazilian heritage. So, there's a lot of diversity in North Plymouth. Yeah. And at the time of these murders, Barry Pinto was 26 and his wife, Dina Pinto, was 24. So they were found by a brother-in-law. He entered the lock house with a key found hidden beneath a brick on the back steps. Okay, so, so beneath a brick beneath on the, the brick. Yeah. On the back step. On the back step. Okay. While he was there, a family friend named David Ricardo also stopped by to pick up a battery for his boat. And when I saw that name, I was like, I know that name. So I called my stepdad and I said, is this the same Dave Ricardo that we know? And he said, no, 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 no. It's a different Dave Ricardo. He remembers, okay. like, I called him because I was like, my stepdad was that in his early been... 20s during this time in Plymouth. I wonder if he recalls this case, yeah. you know, being on the news. And crazy. if it was the same Dave Ricardo. But, no, different different Dave Ricardo. Not the same Dave Ricardo that we know. Also, shout out to uh, your stepdad, Mike. He's amazing. Yeah, he's the funniest you, guy I know. Funniest man. So the brother-in-law was apparently coming over to help with reservations, renovations, and he told the police that the door was locked when he arrived. Dina was found lying on on the couch in her pajamas, and she was shot three times in the left side of her head and neck. Yeah, she was wearing a nightgown, partly covered by a blanket. And when you hear if someone is being covered by a blanket... That, that kind of indicates that the killer cared or knew yeah. about their victim. Yeah, like they, they – yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird. So you wouldn't just cover someone that you didn't really – Yeah, like they didn't want to see them while they were doing it. Like. Yeah. So Barry was found lying on the floor. He was shot twice in the right temple. The couple's one-year-old son was found unharmed in a playpen in the kitchen – and I'm just not going to name oh. him out of respect because he was an infant at the time. And I don't know if he wants to be named. but Poor baby. Yeah, he's about 40 years old today. Uh, when he saw the bodies, the brother-in-law, he grabbed the baby and he ran outside. And he, rode, he drove to the North Plymouth Package Store. 
And a package store is a liquor store for those the who packy, don't the packy. Who don't know. Yeah. So he called the police when he got to the package store. And remember, it's 1983. There are no cell phones at the time. And, you know, you think they'd so have a just... landline phone at the house. Yeah. But he just went to, like, what, the nearest payphone, I guess? Or, or I mean, the package store. I mean, so, yeah. the package store. Just the nearest phone now, that he could find. So between where this house is and the North Plymouth liquor store. Yeah. It's, it's still, like, a few-minute drive. But, again, I don't know what the business structure was like on that road in the 1980s. I wasn't alive yet. But it still would have been, like, a, like a couple-minute walk. Yeah, but, like, Ernie's Pizza was there. Um, I feel like there were closer places but then again i don't know if this yeah, or like a there. neighbor maybe just like shout yeah go to the neighbors call the police outside so I, that's weird okay. yeah okay anyway sorry so the baby was taken to jordan hospital where i was born besides the point Aww. but he was later released to the brother-in-law's wife okay so murder suicide was ruled out because each victim had multiple shots yeah obviously. and no weapon was ever found okay so these shots were at close range, and they were described as gangland style. Little physical evidence was left at the scene, but police know that they were shot with a twenty-five caliber handgun. Okay. So Barry kept guns in the house. As we mentioned before, he was an avid hunter, avid gun collector. He also had a target board in the basement. Ballistics tests from rounds in the basement near the target board matched the rounds that killed the Pintos. And police were never able to find Barry's handgun to determine if the gun was used in the murder, but they did find boxes of the twenty-five caliber ammunition in the home. Okay, so it could have possibly been his... Could have possibly been his been handgun. His gun that was the weapon that was used. Yeah. So five spent caliber, the twenty-five caliber cartridges were scattered on the floor of the living room. A holster kept hidden near the couple's bed was empty but it was reportedly not fitted for a 25 caliber gun so i don't know if it was just the empty holster that he just had or interesting yeah so you know the bullets match a missing it's a possibility yeah so sorry i just lost my place in my notes it's okay so thank you so much so there were no signs of forced entry, so that indicates that they might have known their killer. Neighbors said that there was a lot of traffic to and from the house, again, with, you know, people coming to help him renovate. Barry spent a lot of time at home renovating. And, and they he, had just moved in, too, so there was probably people coming in to help them and stuff. Yeah, and, like, and yeah, and again, they left their key outside, and many of their visitors used it. So the neighbors said that they did not hear any noises coming from the house that night. And this was actually the second double murder in Plymouth County that month. In Marshfield. The second? Yeah, the second double homicide. Not in Plymouth, but in Plymouth County. In Plymouth County. So it was in Marshfield, and I actually lived in Marshfield for a few years. Okay, so like a a couple miles. minutes. It's like maybe 25 minutes north of Plymouth. Oh, yeah, true. So the stabbed bodies of Ruth Rehill and her son Kevin were found 10 days prior to when the Pintos were found. But there were no similarities in the cases, so the police didn't believe that they were connected many yeah so many people around the case they thought that they were there was some drug involvement some theories that drugs were involved the family says otherwise and no they also say that they don't know anyone that would want to kill them and why 
So Barry's older brother, Joe Jr., he insisted that the murders were not drug related. I feel like it would be highly unlikely for them to be drug related, but then like with the possibility of the gun weapon or the the gun weapon with the heck am I saying? Oh the my gun God. weapon. The gun weapon. Um, with the possibility of the weapon having been in the house, like that would not be like like nobody nobody's going in there with the intention of killing somebody over drugs is gonna hope that there's a gun inside that house they're gonna come with that weapon you know or if it's somebody that had been to the house previously and knew oh, that barry was true. you know had that guns had, in the house yeah and knew where they were and yeah knew, like, maybe somebody maybe somebody that they did drugs with or bought drugs from possibly i so yeah i guess that makes sense so there was a small amount of cocaine found in the house okay yeah, so eighties. Yeah, and like there was this theory that you know they had went on a trip to Florida, and investigators theorized that a drug purchase could have been made, and maybe something went sour when they got home. But I found and I read that they just went to Florida to visit Barry's older brother, who just lived there on family vacation. Yeah. So some of these rumors kind of got it, out of hand. That always happens in small towns. I feel like things always kind of you know. The, it's like the game of telephone like it just keeps getting passed around and more exaggerated as it goes yeah and even the district attorney at the time william o'malley he said that any drug connection is purely speculative and at the present we have no hard evidence but we are investigating so that was a quote that he said okay and like i just said a small quantity of cocaine was found at the scene by investigators but the older brother just stated that he believed it was for barry's own personal use yeah I thought it was the 80s. I really, yeah. I, everybody was doing a little bit of coke. doing a little bit. Like, wasn't that like, you know, I, I mean, was I not was, around. I was, I was just going to say, I wasn't there. I feel like that was the vibe. Yeah. You know? um, also, there was no great amount of money found in the house. So they weren't, yeah. they so weren't like hardcore drug dealers. Yeah, obviously. I feel like they would have found more paraphernalia. Yeah. Like more, you know. Yeah, and the police did have like, like dogs thing. come in. The police did have dogs come in okay. and sniff and they didn't find anything Nothing. else. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And I also read that the police had learned that someone had called the house about 7pm Wednesday night, the night of the murders and had spoken to Dina. So that brought me back to why did this guy go to the package store yeah. To call the police when they had a landline. I don't know if he was just like scared someone might still be in the house and wanted to grab the baby and run. Yeah. That that I can also, understand. Like, you can never know. Like his that could have just been it. I mean, he could have panicked and his initial thing was get away from this place and get like Yeah, and you never know how you're gonna react in situations. Yeah. You, you know, you kinda black out and your fight or flight takes over. Exactly. So he was flight. Oh wow. <laughs> he flighted. Yeah. So, also, in addition to that phone call, uh, she was also apparently seen at Rich's department store in town. And I don't know if that's still open or not. But, you know, witness accounts say that she was there. And I don't yeah. know who she talked to on the phone at night or how police know that somebody called. I'm sure phone records. But apparently someone called spoke to Dina about 7 p.m. that night. Okay. So, it wasn't really a robbery either because... They were both found wearing gold jewelry. Barry had a gold chain necklace, and Dina was wearing several gold rings. Again, no one in the neighborhood heard any gunshots, but one anonymous tip prompted a dive search for a weapon near the boat ramp on the waterfront, but that turned up unsuccessful. Okay. That's, that's kind of crappy. Yeah. 
So Barry's brother and father were questioned by state police and Plymouth police detective Donald Ward, but they could only provide little information. At least three people were interviewed after the slayings, and these interviews were said to be fruitful, but they did not yield any breakthroughs, and still to this day, no arrests have been made. That's so sad. It's like almost 40 years later. That's, uh, it breaks your heart. It really breaks your heart. What do you think happened? Do you have a theory? Um, I don't know. I don't know because... I mean, I kind of do. I definitely, they had to know their killer. All the evidence. Yeah, I agree. Them knowing their killer. And they left a key outside. So many people were coming through. Being a lobsterman, being able to renovate your house like this. Like, they definitely had a good income, I yeah. think. Because lobstering is hard work. And, yeah. And I know a lot of people do it because the money is really good. Yeah. So, but... Then again, they... Yeah, you can make wicked good money doing But they didn't steal the gold jewelry, so it wasn't a robbery. I don't know. Yeah, so, like, it wouldn't be... That's interesting. And it was just... But it seemed personal, too. But there's also people out there that, like, will kill for, like, crazy circumstances. Like, those people that have those mindsets where they don't get their way or something is an inconvenience to them minorly and they just lash out and kill people and, it, and it's happened so where they were only in the house for like a couple months do you think there's a chance it could have just been like just a just a freak thing that happened like somebody just took the opportunity i don't know it could be i mean that's my fear I feel like that's hard but like i mean it it's it could happen you know i like it has when happened. i'm when i'm home alone I, my biggest fear is someone's just gonna Right, come in Just my door right and in. shoot me for no reason. It, it gets, so no one know. needs a you reason. I yeah. guess they can just do whatever they want. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was drug related. If they need a little cocaine and didn't pay for it, and their yeah. dealer was just like, "All right, I'm gonna shoot you guys." Maybe um, one of their new neighbors like and, knew that they had something, but I mean, still, then again, nothing else in the house was taken. The coke was still there. Like, it's not like... Yeah, and the fact that Gina's it, body was covered up. And yeah. the fact that their son was left unharmed. Someone definitely cared to yeah. some degree Had about some kind them. Of morality in some way. Yeah. In some weird way. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, and the fact that it was, like, the, the uh, ammunition that was used was similar or the same as what he had, so... Or maybe that it could have been a gun that was already in the house. That's just kind of odd to me. Like, it could have been just been, like lying on the counter, and they had someone yeah. over, and shit hit the fan, and and that was it. Saw an opportunity, and that was it. That's and just... they got out before they realized what they had done. But like, you know, this neighborhood, like all the houses are pretty close to each other. The fact that like they the neighbors noticed like you know people going in and out all the time, but they didn't hear a gunshot that night. Yeah, yeah, that's that's weird. But but especially the houses are pretty close, like in that area. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not like they're it's a very got, like, populated a part of, of land. Town. Like it's like most of the houses are on like a quarter acre lot, and there's you know the driveways are right next to each other, so you would hear gunshots. And it was a Wednesday night. Yeah, it's not like it's a Friday Saturday night where people in Plymouth are blaring their music and you know they're out partying. People are home on a Wednesday night. Yeah. 
That's... And I have, a, I just have a, in a place where there's, what, two homicides every couple of years? Like, that's, that's fucking weird. It's weird. So, they had autopsies done. Okay. And the medical examiner indicated that the couple had died between 8 and 9 p.m. on the evening of the 23rd. So, again, a Wednesday night, 8 or 9 p.m. Yeah. Most people are still up. They're winding down for bed. They're, you know, quieting down. So, how do you not hear a gunshot? Yeah, how do you not? Like, that's – I just don't understand that. And, like, none of the neighbors called. Nobody – was like, hey, like that's... I mean, some people just like light off fireworks randomly, but True. this is also February. It like I say, like, it just moved in, so like maybe people were like, oh, you know, maybe they're this... working on the house. Yeah, but and... like on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. you hear loud noises like that. Like I get, like I don't know. So the medical examiner found powder burns on the pillow of the couch where Gina was found. And they also found powder burns around Barry's temple, indicating that the murderer had fired the death weapon at close range. Yeah, that means they were, like, very close, like, pretty much They right said up, gangland like, style. So, yeah. yeah. And the Which fact is... that she'd been casually dressed, she was in a nightgown, remember? So she's casually dressed in a nightgown and a robe. There were no signs of forced entry or struggle. And this is what has led investigators to conclude that the Pintos probably knew their killer or killers. Hundreds of people attended their funeral mass at St. Mary's Church in Plymouth. And they were laid to rest at Vine Hills Cemetery. And the cemetery is a huge graveyard near downtown Plymouth. Yeah. And so they were laid to rest next to each other, which is really sweet. So Barry's co-workers on the lobster boat set up a trust fund for the Pinto's infant son and Barry's mother Monica passed in 2016 after a long illness. She died never knowing what happened to her son and daughter-in-law. That's so sad. Yeah, and his his father actually did pass uh, actually like nine years earlier in 2007. Oh, that's wicked so, sad. But they're all together now. Yeah, so, I guess true, lining. but it's still sad. So, you don't get answers and you just kind of like just wishing you could the whole time like that's yeah and i i didn't see anything about if gina's parents were deceased or alive still but it's really sad that you know this murder is still unsolved and that 40 years later we have no answers whatsoever no answers and that the parents died not ever knowing what had happened to them So this case remains unsolved to this day, and we are quickly approaching the 40th anniversary. The Massachusetts State Police have actually recently created a playing card deck, each card featuring missing people and unsolved cases from across the state. Oh, that's wicked cool. Including in the deck are Dina and Barry Pinto. So I thought that was really cool. And just a little snippet from a Patriot Ledger article dated february 10th of this year actually massachusetts state police are asking people to help speak for these souls who can no longer speak for themselves a deck of cards featuring missing people and unsolved cases from across the state each card in the deck made by state police the department of correction and the district attorney's offices features a victim or victims of an unsolved homicide or a missing person case the 52 cards include 
telekinesis. <laughs> <laughs> the 52 cards include cases connected to Braintree, Weymouth, Plymouth, and Randolph. Wow. So I just want to end this with some kind words about our victims. Barry was described as friendly, well-liked, and always smiling. Dina was also described as a very nice person, a good mother, and a good friend. She loved her work, and she loved her family. Since the murder weapon was never found, please feel information from the public is likely their best hope. After all these years, the family hopes anyone with information will come forward to help police find the killer. Contacting state police or Plymouth the or the Plymouth Police Department Detectives Unit. As long as we continue to look into it, there's always hope. Anyone with information about the murders of Dina and Barry Pinto are encouraged to call the Plymouth Police Department at 508-746-1212. That was amazing. Excellent job, Jen, on all that research. I think I, just I blacked like out again. Round of- applause i think i've blacked out again i mean we all do it's like when you're like in middle school and you take the stage for the first time and you just like forget everything it's like public speaking class all over again it really is but you're doing amazing thank you so much But that was just i mean so i grew up in the area too and i i'm not i wasn't from plymouth i grew up you know a couple towns over but this was not a case that i knew about yeah i mean i feel like i always kind of like knew of this case because I feel like anyone is just infatuated with any true crime that happens in their town. Yeah. So I always kind of wanted to start a true crime podcast because I always had these cases that nobody else ever covered on podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, why doesn't anyone ever do this? Why doesn't anyone ever talk about this? And I was like, I can do that. I can talk about this. So once I started researching this, I... I learned a lot of new information myself and I just kind of knew of the case. I didn't know their names, but I knew it was in the eighties. I knew it happened in North Plymouth, but they were a young couple. This did not deserve yeah, to happen they were to them. Just, just starting their lives together. They were just starting their lives. They just bought a house. They had a one-year-old son. They were 24 and 26. Like, like just so young, like so young with their whole lives ahead of them. Well-liked by everyone. And it's really sad that their murder is still unsolved. And almost 40 years later, it's still unsolved. I mean, cases can go a long time. And then forensics comes out and things get solved. And I hope that... Do you think we'll get, like, maybe, like, a deathbed confession from somebody? Are you foreshadowing another case I'm about to cover? Or maybe? Am I? I don't... You'll have to wait and find out. Okay. Yeah, stay tuned for that. I do also have a um, I'm doing like a haunted history case this um, for my next one. But there is a little bit of a unsolved uh, homicide in it. OK, uh, or not a little bit of it. There is a unsolved unsolved homicide in it. So okay. um, I will bring that up as well because it's also it's in Western Mass. But All right. Cool. This um, it just this one is definitely it's really sad. And uh, yeah. So thank you for this today, Jen. And thank you for the episode. And thank you guys for listening to today's episode. And uh, also make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Fathomless Pod. That's Fathomless P-O-D at the end. All like smushed together like one word. And also if you want to send us a email or a case suggestion, you can send that to Fathomless Podcast at gmail.com. 
And yeah, we hope you enjoyed and uh, stay spooky, stay scary, and, and stay, stay safe. safe.